Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. From KQED. Our question asker this week has been puzzling over something for a while. She noticed the Bay Area has a men's football team, a men's basketball team, a men's soccer team, men's hockey team, and, at least for now, two men's baseball teams. That's a whole lot of teams, but something is missing. Why isn't there a professional women's or non-binary team in the Bay Area? This is Afifa Tawil, and she works for the women's and non-binary semi-pro ultimate frisbee team, the San Francisco Falcons. So she's paying attention to the women's sports landscape. And she thinks our region seems to have a lot going for it. A large population and generally progressive values that would seem welcoming to a pro women's team. But no team. Just why a lot of other states and areas have one. Why doesn't the Bay Area have one? Well, the good news first. We are getting one. Last month, the newest team in the National Women's Soccer League, the Bay FC, held their launch event. Ready, ready? One, two, three. Bay FC! Bay FC! This is Brandi Chastain of World Cup fame, who grew up playing soccer on the boys' squad in San Jose. She's introducing the new Bay Area women's pro team. All right, all right, all right. So that's our first year. I love it. The team is getting ready for its debut season in spring 2024, and it comes as women's sports are booming right now. But Chastain says it took a long time to make happen. You know, my mom used to say to me, good things come to those who wait. And I think you don't rush things like this, and it has to be the right time and the right moment with the right people. So a FIFA's question still stands. Why did it take so long for the Bay Area to get a professional women's team? Shouldn't women's sports be big here? Today on Bay Curious, we look at the history of women's sports in the Bay and whether the time is now for a professional women's team to succeed. I'm Olivia Allen Price, and this is Bay Curious. Answers are just ahead, but be sure to listen to the very end of this episode to play our monthly podcast trivia game. You stand to win some pretty sweet prizes. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hi there, I'm Randal Fatah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. All right, so our listener wants to know why we are only now getting a professional women's sports team here. And we gotta say it up front, we actually did have some in the past. 
I never even knew that dunking was something spectacular. I just thought it was fun to be able to get up that high. We'll hear more from her and about those teams in just a moment. But as is so often the case, to really get our hands around this story, we have to start where so many Bay Curious stories start. In history, at a time when the very idea of professional sports leagues were in their infancy. Reporter Kelly O'Mara takes it from here. Elite women's sports actually have a long history in San Francisco. In fact, the first collegiate women's basketball game ever played was between Stanford and UC Berkeley all the way back in 1896. The sport had only been invented a few years earlier, and you probably wouldn't recognize it now. Nine women played on a half-size court wearing the athletic clothing of the day. Knee-length bloomers, tall socks, long-sleeve sweaters. Here's what the San Francisco Chronicle wrote about the game. From the very first, the game was snappy. Sometimes with a slump and a slide, three girls would dive for the ball and end in an inextricable heap. In less time than it takes to read it, they were all planted firmly on their two feet, flushed, perspiring, oblivious of everything except that ball. The teams played to a crowd of 700 women. Men weren't allowed in the gym, but many watched anyway, peeking in through the windows. Women in the gallery shouted themselves hoarse and leaned over until how they kept their balance was a mystery. Stanford won, and when they returned to campus, they were greeted by cheering crowds and the Stanford band. Rita Liberti, a professor of sports history at CSU East Bay, said throughout the late 1800s and early 1900s, there were these pockets of women's sports all over the Bay Area. Running, for example, was big. The Dipsy race in 1919, 1920 on the Dipsy Trail in Marin, that was incredibly popular for women. Hundreds of participants, thousands of people watching. The women's race was called a hike to get around bands on women running competitively. But even in long skirts and boots, the winning woman still completed the mountainous seven-and-a-half-mile course in one hour and 12 minutes, a time that would be in the top quarter of athletes at this year's race. Her hike was most definitely a run. Beyond running, lots of other sports were popular here, too. Softball uh, was huge in the Bay Area. Uh, basketball, certainly. I mean, Chinese-American girls playing basketball in Chinatown. and uh, Swimming, of course. You know, women swimming, especially in Santa Clara and other places. Again, we're, we're talking about women who, girls and women who were kind of like everyday athletes, but we're also talking about elite athleticism, women who were really skilled. San Francisco even had a pro co-ed roller derby team starting in the 1930s called the Bay Bombers. They played mostly at Kezar Stadium and Cow Palace. And at one point, they drew a million spectators a year and were broadcast on TV. Between the Bears and the Panthers. The girls out on the track now, jockeying for positions. Keep your eyes on the pack. There may be a break any second now. Basically, for decades, we were a place for elite women's sports as much as they existed since professional sports, even pro men's leagues, were only just starting to take off. But there came conservative pushback across the country starting in the 1920s. Over the years, there would be periodic backlash to the relative progressiveness that came before, and the Bay Area was not immune. I mean, that's the reason why the Dipsy hike, the race ended in 1922, is that community leaders felt it was too harsh. Um, for women to continue running that race. 
And so there's there's still those a combination fears about like female frailty, like their ovaries are going to fall out or something if they run up and down a basketball court or whatever, um, or that they'll become too mannish, you know. The Dipsy race wouldn't open up again to women for five decades, not until 1971. In 1972 comes Title IX, the landmark legislation that banned gender discrimination in schools. But building a foundation back up for women's sports was slow. The NCAA didn't even add women's basketball until 1982. That's nearly 90 years after that first game between UC Berkeley and Stanford that we talked about earlier. Yeah, while on the surface the Bay Area may seem intensely progressive to some, it, it carries with it ideas about gender. We're not immune from that in the Bay Area. By the 1970s, modern pro-men sports, as we think of them, were really taking shape. Money, sponsors, tickets, TV deals. This is when we first finally see an attempt at professional women's teams, including here in the Bay Area. But they were on the back foot, having to catch up to the audience and investment men's teams already had. In 1979, there was a women's professional basketball team here, the San Francisco Pioneers. They played in the first-of-its-kind women's professional basketball league, the WBL. WBL is made up of two four-team divisions. Team owners are optimistic the league will prosper, but they went into the venture understanding the WBL will not be an overnight sensation. Cardi Hicks was one of the women on that team. It was like a dream come true for me because I never thought the United States would ever have a women's team. She played for CSU Northridge and was recruited to the new WBL team by the coach, Frank Laporte, who had heard of her and her famous dunking. She had a 42-inch vertical jump. And he had heard a lot about me playing in AAU. I played for my brothers, you know, because they wouldn't allow women to play, so they dressed me up like a boy. (laughs) Taped my boobs down, what little bit I did have. And people would come out because they heard, you heard about that girl that could jump? The SF Pioneers played at the Civic Center and were supported by Willie Brown. One thing I can truly say is that San Francisco showed some love um, in the gay community, more so than any community. They were just so supportive. They wanted this to grow. The players didn't get paid much. And after the novelty wore off, they didn't get much media attention or marketing either. We didn't get market like they do with the WNBA. We didn't have a lot of money. You know, me personally, I'd have played for nothing as long as I can get out there and play. How much did she get paid then? Girl, if I told you, you said, what? I, I, I'm sure it was more than $1,500 a month. I'm serious. It was horrible. But the players were good, she said. Imagine if they'd had the opportunities available now. And when the league folded, it was a heartbreaker for all of us. By 1981, the WBL was done. A few years ago, many of those players, including Cardi Hicks, were honored by the WNBA and inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. But back in the early 80s, without enough capital and coverage, the WBL couldn't last. The team and league shut down, and Cardi went back to playing overseas, where there were more opportunities. This happened to a lot of the newly formed women's pro teams during the 70s and 80s. Rita Liberti says they kept getting shortchanged and shut down. They come and they go. They're in and they're out. They don't have funding. There's no capital. I mean, there's, there's no media following them at this point. This pattern continued for decades. 
There was the San Jose Sunbirds, a pro softball team, which was later followed by the California Sunbirds in Stockton, which were part of the National Pro Fast Pitch National Pro Fast Pitch. It's a whole new ball game. There was the FC Gold Pride, part of one of the early women's professional soccer leagues who played out. in Hayward. Let me tell you, it's going to happen. She doesn't go this long without scoring goals. I think we're going to really see Abby start to get going. So to answer part of Afifa's original question, there have been a number of different women's pro teams in the Bay Area over the years. But they all folded. The question now is, has the time finally come for one to succeed here? I, I just think in, sometimes people are resistant to, to understanding what is possible if they haven't seen it done before. Back to the launch of the new women's pro soccer team. To support our brand new football club, Bay FC. Allie Wagner is one of the four founders of that team. All four played on the U.S. national team, and all four grew up or live in the Bay Area. They also all played in previous women's pro or semi-pro soccer leagues, none of which lasted. Very different place now than where we were then. And, and one of the things that I keep coming back to is that there was always gatekeepers. What Wagner means is for a long time, the people who make the decisions kept saying, no point in investing in women's sports. No one wants to watch women's sports. Don't put them on TV. Right now, though, at this exact moment, it's hard not to notice a shift happening globally. Almost 10 million people tuned in for the Women's March Madness final. WNBA opening weekend viewership was up 100%. The three most attended soccer games in Europe last year were all women's matches. It's clearer than ever that there is money to be made. And that's what's changing. Investors see now there is a market, an audience, an entire base of women sports fans who are not being served. And with the potential for profit comes funding, which brings broadcast TV deals. And since you can't be a fan of what you can't see, that brings more viewers and more fans. Ali Wagner says that's why the Bay FC women's soccer team was finally able to launch now. And now I think that people are starting to understand that the momentum is there, the data is there, everything is signaling that this is the right time to accelerate you know, women's sports, women's soccer, um, and the growth in this landscape. In the Bay Area, there have always been women's sports. Professional runners, cyclists, tennis players, pro swimmers and ice skaters. There are semi-pro teams here too. But a fully-fledged, fully-funded major pro team that lasts? Is the momentum finally there? We asked the fans at that Bay FC launch event. Oh, I'm so excited. I started watching the MWSL since the 2015 World Cup. And since then, I've just been waiting for a team. We don't have to fly to Portland. We don't have to fly to LA. We don't have to go to San Diego to watch. We got somebody representing Northern California, the Bay Area. I'm excited to see them all play. Really cool and just see them all score goals and make really good finishes. There are also efforts to bring a WNBA expansion team here, though the commissioner has said not quite yet. The reason why gets at an answer to another one of FIFA's questions. It can be tough to start teams in the Bay Area. It's often easier to start out and build in smaller markets, especially during the survival mode that women's sports have historically existed in. The Bay Area is a little hard for people to get their heads around, a little hard to conquer for any one new team. Allie Wagner, 
from the Bay FC says that was part of the challenge here. I think I think the Bay Area is perhaps daunting to a lot of people because we have so much going on. It's so spread out, so diverse. There's so many other things to do than sit inside and watch sports on TV. We're not always considered a great sports market. The success of the Bay FC depends on proving that wrong. So we went back and asked Brandy Chastain, is the Bay Area a good sports town? The Bay Area is the best sports town, and we're going to prove it. The Bay FC starts play in the spring, and after that, maybe a WNBA team in Oakland. Or let's dream big. A softball team in Hayward, a women's hockey team in San Jose. Momentum is building. It's time for women's pro sports to truly get their shot. That was reporter Kelly O'Mara. Big thanks to everyone who came out to our Curious Cocktails event last week. We had so much fun, and guessing by how long you hung out after the show, I think you did too. If you missed out on that, another Bay Curious event is just around the corner. On July 27th, we'll be at the California Academy of Sciences for their Hella Nightlife event. It's a celebration of all things Bay Area with a special focus on Bay Area hip-hop. We'll be there slinging trivia and signing the Bay Curious book. Get more details at kqed.org slash live. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. Our show is produced by Amanda Font, Christopher Beal, and me, Olivia Allen Price. Additional support from Jen Chien, Katie Springer, Cesar Saldana, Paul Lancor, and Holly Kernan. I hope you have an awesome week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Thanks.